It is Monday, November 6th. We are fresh off of college football week 10, looking ahead into college football weekend, week 11. A wild weekend in college football week 10. Uh, you know, a lot of surprising covers, a lot of surprising uh, upsets, but nonetheless, another week of college football in the books. Uh, we have Matt Grissom here with us, NCAA insider and friend of the show, betting analyst. Matt, how we doing, man? Doing good. Ready for another wild weekend of college football? I know we have a uh, we have some exciting conference matchups that are that are kind of make or break for some of these uh, team seasons. So, um, you know, a, a lot to look forward to and a lot to break down. So, don't want to waste any time. Don't want to waste any of your time. Jumping right ahead into college game day game of the week SEC marquee matchup: Ole Miss at Georgia. Georgia's eleven point home favorites, eleven and a half, and some other books. Point totals hovering around 59. Ole Miss is 6-2-1 against the spread this season. Georgia, 3-6 against the spread. Ole Miss, they rank 12th for total offense, 15th in overall passing, 34th in overall rushing, and then 14th in FBS in overall scoring offense. Defensively, they rank 61st overall and 65th against the pass, 55th against the rush, 45th for points allowed. Let's flip it over to Georgia. They rank sixth for total offense, surprising number there. Sixth for overall for passing, 47th in rushing, a little, little down there, and 10th overall scoring offense. And, of course, they have a really, really stout defense across the board, top 25 in nearly every metric. Georgia playing minus 11 right here, um, a little bit surprising for me. I would expect Georgia minus 9, I think. Uh, but I think the the game being in Athens kind of gives them the nod and, uh, takes them to 11, a fair point total, somewhat expected, but uh, this game is going to be a sneaky good game, and I think everybody is expecting uh, some electricity. Matt, initial reaction to this line, let me know. I wanted to jump on Ole Miss. I pumped the brakes because, quite frankly, the early lines haven't been too good for me. I thought I, I'd stolen money, taken Alabama minus three and a half, then it went up to six, and uh, lo and behold, before kickoff, it was back down to the field goal. So I chickened out. I cashed out my bet, lost a little bit of juice, and then just laid it on the money line. Turns out it didn't matter. Alabama brought it. Nick Saban at home, you know, he, he had revenge on his mind, and they took care of business with the LSU Tigers. Yeah, yeah, I know. That was, that was one thing that I ended up getting right from last week. I can't say it about that about a whole lot else from last week. Uh, one of the few down weeks, but looking forward to catching it back up this week. I agree on Ole Miss. I'm taking Ole Miss plus 11 myself. I'm going to wait and see if it steams up to Ole Miss uh, plus 12, but I've already sprinkled a little bit on the 11. The projections actually have them around eight and a half, nine, uh, looking at the pr preliminary report that I generated. Uh, so that's why I, I mentioned that nine number. Um, you know, surprisingly, surprisingly, both teams have a really good defense. And I know, obviously, Georgia historically has a elite defense, but Ole Miss's defense is not to be uh, slut on. You know, looking at some of the numbers, um, they, they don't jump off the page at you, but some of the underlying metrics really tell you all that you need to know. Um, they're, you know, middle of the road and rushing success rate. They can be run over, but the thing is, Georgia doesn't really run over teams as much as they used to. Um, but they can stop the pass, and that's going to be the key for this Ole Miss defense is Carson Beck 
you know, he's not some guy that's going to go out there and put up Caleb Williams type numbers, but he is extremely consistent with the ball in his hands and he just doesn't make mistakes. You know, there's hardly any turnovers that has accounted for him. Uh, this def- this offense, you know, a lot of college football offenses, the, the, the issue at hand is they really beat themselves and Georgia does not do that. This team does not make mistakes. They're few and far in between and they're extremely consistent with their execution on the offensive side of the ball. Same for the defense, but Ole Miss can stop them. Now, will they? Not not entirely sure, but I think they can stop them enough to cover 11 points and keep this close because they're fighting for a spot in the SEC West. Uh, and I know that Georgia, of course, you know, they've won like 26 straight regular season games, but, you know, I think they'll keep it close. Look what Mizzou did. Um, so I expect nothing less from Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin. Yeah, and talking about Missouri, I think one of the biggest things looking back that surprised me was Cook only completed 14 passes, and they were in the game pretty much the entire game. Uh, Only 212 yards. If Jackson Dart can replicate anything similar to what he did against A&M's defense, he threw for 387, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. I think this is going to be one of those cases where, like you said, Georgia doesn't beat themselves but they're going to try to make them or make you beat yourself. Mm-hmm. If, if Jackson Dart can go without throwing an interception and Judkins can get, you know, he, they give up 5.1 yards per carry to Schrader for Mizzou. If Judkins can, who I think is better than Schrader, if mm-hmm. he can get the ball rolling, he had 23 carries, 102 yards and three touchdowns last week against A&M. And I would put A&M's defense up there in the same ballpark with Georgia. I mean, I think they both have pretty solid defenses, especially run defenses. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if Judkins can keep this close and, and keep pounding it away and Dart can find some success through the air, I wouldn't be surprised if Ole Miss won this game outright because we haven't seen Carson Beck turn the corner yet and and have to make plays like an elite quarterback would. Granted, Stetson Bennett didn't have to either, but uh, I feel like we're talking about a completely different Georgia team at this point than what they have been. Right. Yeah. They're they're more beatable than in, in, in the recent past. And, you know, I was having this conversation uh, with a, a group of guys over the weekend, and Georgia's one of those teams where they play at a pace which always allows a team to kind of get back into it given the opportunity, you know, they, they obviously beat teams and, you know, they, they, they handle teams well. And sometimes it feels like they beat a team by 20 when in reality, they only beat them by a touchdown. But, you know, you look at the, their spread or against the spread rank, they're three and six. And that's because I think the pace that they play and they're not going to, they're not going to put the pedal to the metal. They're going to game manage. They're going to control the clock and they're just going to grind them, grind it out and just hope that you, you know, they can make it to, to, double zeros so um you know i think that the way that Ole miss plays too they can score any given moment they could easily backdoor cover this and keep it within 10 so um i I see more of like a a 30 to 20 or a 30 to 23 type ending if Ole miss uh were to drop this one rather than a full 11 12 points so i'm with you man i think it's some gonna be a fun one well and that keeps being georgia's kind of monkey on their back is they don't cover spreads and you know Missouri kept it tight enough last week to once again they 
they didn't cover the spread, even though watching the game, you probably felt like Georgia could have easily covered it if they wanted to. But like you said, they let teams linger, and I think Ole Miss is definitely going to be in a spot in the fourth quarter where they could either win or at least backdoor cover. Yeah, 100%. I think I think Lane Kiffin will refuse to to lay it down, so – Excited for that one. He we'll we'll see if Lane Kiffin can get that, you know, another big win in the books. I feel like he those come few and far in between for him as of late. All right. Next big game, Michigan goes to Penn State. Penn State, this is the most volatile line I've seen across the board. Uh I, I've seen it Penn State plus two and a half. I've seen Penn State plus five. I've seen Penn State plus seven. And the total is just the same way. I've seen it all the way down to 44. I've seen it all the way up to 55. Some of the lower numbers are on BetMGM uh, for those who, you know, if you lean a certain way, you can go find those there. But Michigan, 4-4-1 four, four, and one against the spread. Penn State, 7-2 and two against the spread. Penn State is first in the nation in overall turnover margin. J.J. McCarthy has the third highest opponent-adjusted EPA per play of any individual quarterback. However, he has the easiest schedule out of all, you know, top four teams. So uh, take that with a grain of salt, whatever you may be. Uh, tell yourself whatever story you need to tell yourself. But nonetheless, J.J. McCarthy playing at a high level, all things considered. This is going to be a fun one. This one is at Penn State, so Penn State gets the nod. You know that the crowd is going to be rocking for this one. And especially with all of the drama going on in Michigan, the Connor Stallion stuff, there's no telling what kind of vibe is uh, Michigan's coming in with this game with. So, you know, with all that said, before we dive into the numbers, initial reaction to some of these lines, man, what what do you think? What's your gut telling you? Let me know. I think Michigan makes a statement. I think one of the biggest things is you get Happy Valley at 11 a.m., so it's not going to be the wild night, wide out type Penn State crowd. Granted, it is still a tough place to play. I think with all the drama going on with Michigan, this is going to be Harbaugh's chance to just come out and kick Penn State in the teeth. I think their defense will do enough to to keep Aller off the scoreboard early. And at that point, I mean, you could just put them in a vice and, and kind of squeeze out like Georgia does with a, an opponent. They may linger, but I think Michigan ends up winning this game by double digits. It, it, it won't surprise me at all if Michigan wins, you know, 24 to 10 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And just a, yep. a lower scoring slugfest. Yeah, 100% agree. I actually have down, I think Michigan wins 27-14 in this one. Uh, and I think there's a couple reasons for that. But one, thinking I just have no confidence in Drew Aller to go against this Michigan defense and get it done. You know, we saw how we kind of laid it down against Ohio State. Um, we we've If you watch Penn State and uh, how they, you know, get the ball going on the offensive side of the ball, it's not through him. He's... You know, they very they limit him very much in the playbook. Uh, they don't really trust him getting the ball downfield. Uh, a key metric that I pulled out, a key stat, is Penn State is bottom 10 in both explosive rush and pass rate this season. They have zero explosiveness on the offensive side of the ball, and that's just not going to get it done against a defense like Michigan. I know that Michigan hasn't really played anybody to date, but still the, the success that they've had on the defensive side of the ball is unmatched. I mean... You know, with Michigan, I can at least go in with some sort of confidence and be like, okay, they're going to be able to put up points on the board. This offense is just too good to not do that. But 
Penn State, I don't have that side, that same confidence. You know, looking at the numbers, Michigan's offense is better. You know, Michigan defense is right on par with Penn State's defense. You know, Michigan is second overall in FBS and overall defensive success rate. Penn State first. But, you know, when you look at that, the discrepancy between the offense for Michigan and Penn State is really what gives me the nod. I think Michigan State wins by 14 in a handy win. It's going to be low scoring, I think, not really touching the total. Um, but, you know, I do think it's going to be a lower scoring, and I think Penn State's really going to struggle to get in the end zone and at home against Michigan. Yeah, so, I agree, too. And one crazy stat is Michigan in their last five have gone over, but their opponent has only scored 7.4 points per game. So that just tells you, you know, say what you will about their their schedule and how soft it's been. But how many people, you know, how many people on ESPN are talking about that? Well, Michigan hasn't played anybody. The college football playoff rankings come out, and Michigan's lower because their strength of schedule. At at some point, Harbaugh is going to say, all right, you want a big game? Here, we'll go in Happy Valley, and we're mm-hmm. going to lay it down. And I think that's what you're about to see on yeah. Saturday. And, you know, we've seen this in the past, too. You know, but the past couple years where – They've gone down a similar schedule, and then lo and behold, they go in there and they kick the shit out of Ohio State. You know, yeah. everybody projects Ohio, like everybody thinks Ohio State. I mean, they are a great team, but it just seems like this is becoming a recurring process where Michigan they play a bad schedule. Everybody thinks that you know they're going to get boat raced because they haven't played anybody, and then next thing you know, they're the ones doing the boat racing. So yeah, well, uh, and they only have to get up for you know one or two games a season which is good for them. I mean, they schedule these games so far in advance that, like, you don't really know how good or bad a team is going to be. And and now with all the conferences changing hands, like, it's not Michigan's fault. They're playing the schedule that they were dealt. And if they happen to to beat every team at a margin of 40 to 7, you know, that hats off to them. I mean, it's not easy. You just look at Georgia. I mean, they're not yeah. running through SEC teams this year, beating them forty to seven. So, I, you know, say what you will. I, I'm not a huge proponent of the strength of schedule because I think going twelve and zero is difficult enough. I don't really care who they play, and mm-hmm. I think Michigan they'll get up for this game. They'll get up for the Ohio State game, obviously, because those are the two biggest games on the schedule. And they win those, they're in the college football playoff. Yeah. Who cares what the rest of the other 10 games were this season. Exactly. And they have nearly the same exact roster that brought them to the playoffs last year. So mm-hmm. nothing, you know, nothing new on that, on the Michigan side, looking at the betting splits really quick, 60% of the tickets are on Michigan. 81% of the handle is on Michigan. There's about a plus 20% differential in the numbers. So big money pouring in on Michigan, nothing really crazy, nothing uh, that drives me out of wanting to take Michigan. I already took Michigan two and a half on BetMGM where I could get it. So I think the lower the number, the better. You know, that's one of my favorite ones to take this week. Moving on, Utah goes to Washington. Washington is nine-point home favorites. The over-under is sitting at 55, give or take, on some books. Utah, five, three, and one against the spread. Washington is four, four, and one against the spread. Washington coming off of a really solid win against USC. Last week, you know, all they have to do is win out and they control their own destiny at this point. So 
Washington, all the hype that they can possibly get. Utah, still a really solid team coming off of a, uh, a solid win. So this should be fun. This one has a lot of Pac-12 implications, not as big as the USC-Washington game last year, but still big nonetheless. Initial reaction to this line. Matt, let me know what you think. Uh, I think I think Utah plays them close. I just think with what Kyle Whittingham has done without having Cam rising, you know, all the question marks of, oh, is this offense formidable? Well, the, Utah hosted Arizona State last weekend, who, which I get it, it's Arizona State, but they've been playing decent ball. And they beat them 55-3, to three, and it was just kind of a – like opened up a can of wolf ass to show that they can put up points and we're also going to keep you from putting up points. So I think I think Utah could actually give Penix some trouble, uh, especially coming off a big emotional win last weekend against USC. And a lot of people were on USC in that game, just not buying into, all right, Washington's going to drop one eventually, and I'm not going to be surprised if this is the one that they drop. They're playing one of the best defenses in the Pac-12, if not the best. Uh, I, Kyle Whittingham is is a phenomenal coach, and if if they can make Penix turn the ball over, which I think they can, I think this may be a long day for Washington. Because as we saw, their defense is not up to snuff on Mm-mm. what Utah's is. Nope. So you force a couple three and outs, you get a couple turnovers – some weird things can happen. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned that defense, you know, looking at some of the numbers, man, it is awful. You know, Washington is sits at 115th in FBS in overall success rate allowed rushing success rate allowed 129th in FBS. If you flip it over Utah, sixth overall in FBS in offensive success or de- uh, offensive su- success rate allowed. Good. This that's a mouthful. So, Defense, the discrepancy, wide, massive. So you have a top 10 unit in Utah, and then you have a bottom 10 unit in Washington. You know, flip it over, Utah is nothing great on the offense side. Um, you know, they, they don't really do anything great. They do a couple things well, but it's nothing sexy. You know, Bryson Barnes, he game manages, he gets it done. He makes a few big plays here and there. The only really category that they're uh, kind of leading the the charge, um, their 30th overall in rushing explosive rate, so they can... They can break some loose in the rushing attack. Uh, so, but you know that's uh, that's a weakness for Washington. They're weak across the board, and I think they can keep it close. And you mentioned that Arizona State win. This is the same Arizona State team that almost beat Washington just a few short weeks ago. You know, people forget Washington beat that Arizona State team barely, fifteen to seven. Yeah. Uh, I think it was the twenty-first. So, I, I don't like using the transitive property to compare teams, but you know, it's something to note. It's something to consider. It's a, it's a you know, something that you can kind of compare across the board. So I agree. I think Utah keeps us close. The preliminary projections have Utah losing by six and a half, uh, a little over six and a half. Um, You know, I think nine may be too big of a number. I've seen 10 across the board uh, at a few books. So I really like the, the double digit, the 10. But I agree, man. You know, Utah, they don't really, you know, they don't lose big. They, they always keep it close. I feel like they're always in these games. You know, they have a few slip-ups here and there, uh, just nature of the game. But I would just be shocked if Washington beat Utah by double digits. So they're just too good on the defensive side of the ball for me to think that 
you know, this is going to get out of hand. Yep. Completely agree. All right. Quick and easy. Quick and easy. Next big game. Tennessee goes to Missouri. SEC East battle at the top. Really fighting for that uh, second overall spot in the SEC East behind Georgia. Missouri's one point home favorites on some books. Uh, there's a little bit of discrepancy. You see one and a half and you see 0.5, depending on where you look. The total is sitting around 55 and a half. UT is six and three against the spread. Mizzou is also six and three against the spread on the year. This game should be fun. Uh, two not high octane offenses. Tennessee's offense is actually pretty down, but two competent offenses and two competent defenses going head to head. Um, you know, disclaimer, I am a Tennessee fan, but you know, I'm confident about this game. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to let my head grow, but, uh, Matt, you know, initial reaction to this line, let me know what you think. Oh, that's what I was about to say. You don't have to say it. Cause I'll say it for you. I, this is one where I saw it and immediately bet Tennessee. I just think you have a much better team in Tennessee all around. And yeah, Missouri's had an awesome season. Congrats to them. But now they've they've gotten into the meat of their schedule. You just come off a brutal game against Georgia, where I'm sure you got hit harder than you've gotten hit all all season long. Uh, I just think Tennessee is is primed for a big game win, and I think they get this down in Columbia. There's just no facet of of the game that I'm going to say Missouri has the advantage. I think this is Tennessee's to lose, and the only reason they would lose is if Joe Milton just comes out and falls flat. They've put up 66 and 62 points versus Missouri the last two years. Missouri has been stagnant at 24. So if the winning margins tell you anything, I think Tennessee is 100% the right side here. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about this one. I love my balls. Uh, There's a lot that has to happen for us to win the East, we have to beat Missouri this weekend, and then Georgia has to lose to Ole Miss, and then we have to beat Georgia two weeks from now. But I am a hopeless optimistic when it comes to this sort of stuff, so I will hold on to that hope. I think we do beat Missouri by a touchdown or so. Um, if we're being honest, I think we beat them by more just because of the way historically these matchups have gone between Coach Heupel and Coach Drinkowitz. Now, looking at it again, I I totally agree. There's nothing that Missouri has better than what Tennessee has. Tennessee, they're 13th overall in total offense. Missouri, 38th overall in total offense. You flip it over on the defensive side of the ball, they rank 42nd overall in total defense. T- Tennessee, they rank 21st overall in total defense. And you, the underlying metrics, the the success rate, all of that tells the same exact story that, you know, Missouri, they look very, very similar on paper, but Tennessee has that edge in just nearly every single category. Tennessee can run the ball a lot better than Missouri, so I think they kind of control the clock a little bit in this game. And what we've seen, you know, what the numbers won't tell you, but Joe Milton has progressively made strides to being a better quarterback. He's not great. I won't sit here and defend him and say that he's been some, that he's lived up to the offseason hype, but He's certainly better than the the Joe Milton we saw against Florida earlier this season and certainly better than, you know, the the first three weeks that we saw him. And I think in the past three games, he's kind of accounted for six total touchdowns and some 1,200 total yards generated. So Joe Milton getting better. This offense is starting to click. 
in this defense, surprisingly. Can't even believe it, but Tennessee, for the first time in a long time, has a top 25 defense defense in just about every category. Uh, They do give up a lot of explosive uh, plays in the passing game, but I think they can do enough to, to kind of, you know, contain Missouri's offense. I think they'll certainly give up some explosive plays, you know, especially to Luther Burden and the, and the wide receiver core, but I think they'll just pace them. I think they'll be better and just about every other category. And I think they'll be able to, to, to win in the trenches where it's most important and, and get it done, you know, and, uh, kind of switching gears a little bit, looking at the betting splits too. 28% of the tickets are on Tennessee, but 53% of the money is on Tennessee. So a lot of big money coming in on Tennessee, which is a good sign. We don't see a lot of the public coming in, but we see a lot of the handle coming in. That's about a 25% differential, but I'm confident, you know, I'm feeling good about it. I don't want to do anything too crazy, but I took a, I took Tennessee uh, money line where I could find it at its top. I'm excited about it. Yep. I'm on Tennessee money line too. I just, I like we've said at nauseum now, I feel like Tennessee is just the far superior team in this matchup. Our projections, shout out to Jason Kaminsky, who's been helping me out doing our own insider score projections. He's got this 8.6 in favor of Tennessee. So stats don't fail us now. Love it. Yeah, I think uh, my preliminary projections had Tennessee right about a three-point favorite. So, same, same, very similar story there. So, shifting gears back to the Pac-12. USC goes to Oregon. Oregon is a 14-and-a-half-point home favorite. USC, man, uh, quite the polarizing story in football right now. We have no idea what to make of this team. They just fired Alex Grinch on the defensive side of the ball. He was their defensive coordinator former defensive coordinator now, but, you know, I don't want to count this team out because they do have Caleb Williams. You know, people forget he is that dude, but at the same time, this defense could not stop anything. And we're talking about Oregon. Oregon is one of the only teams in college football who has a top 10 EPA margin on offense and a top 10 EPA margin allowed on defense. So this team is firing on all cylinders they look great on both sides of the ball. Dan Lanning has his team going, and they have college football playoff in sight, whereas USC, you know, they don't. You know, they're kind of out of the hunt for the Pac-12. They're out of the hunt for the college football playoffs. And I just, you know, me sitting here in this chair at home say, I, I don't think they can get up, but, you know, you never know how a team works. You never know the dynamics of a team. And, you know, we look at Clemson. They just you know, beat Notre Dame. I would have never thought that. I would have thought they laid it down and quit. So I don't want to say anything with uh, too much confidence, but it it is hard for me to see USC get excited about coming out and, you know, playing Oregon at Oregon. If we look at it, USC is two and eight against the spread this year. One of the league's worst teams against the spread, only ahead of Vanderbilt is one and nine. Oregon seven, one and one against the spread. We look at the betting splits, nothing really crazy. 32% of the t- of the tickets are on USC. 37% of the money is on USC. So uh, similar notes there, not much of a margin, but initial reaction to the line, let me know about it. It felt high, and then I remember that this USC team got beat by 28 against Notre Dame, and I think we're going to see more along the lines of that type of game than 
like for sure a Washington, even Utah, you know, Utah struggled to move the ball and still won that game 34-32. Keeping Caleb Williams at 32 points, I feel like is pretty critical in that sense. But you've got to have a better offense in Oregon than Utah. So I would say Oregon probably wins this game as handedly as they want to. If Dan Lanning comes out and just really wants to make a statement, I think they take it to him. Bo Nix, in my opinion, is better than Michael Penix, and Penix had a really good game against USC. Oregon's defense is much better than Washington. So looking at it, I mean, I think it's the Ducks or pass in this sense. You could convince me maybe taking a team total over for USC, but then again, you talk about this Oregon Ducks defense, and I don't know if USC can move the ball. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised at all if Oregon wins this game like forty five to twenty one, in that dominating of a fashion. I know. Yeah, it's it's brutal if you're a USC fan. I mean, you know, just what you've gotten out of this team is it's not been. It's not been fun, to say the least. And, you know, I, I agree with you. Oregon actually has the more productive offense to date. And, you know, that's, that's you know, pretty tough if you're going into this as a USC fan because you always are like, well, at least my offense is better. But, yeah, it's not. Unfortunately, it's not. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and then you flip it over to the defensive side of the ball. I mean, everybody knows Oregon has a great defense, but. Uh, it's elite. Uh, it's a very much elite defense in the league. 19th overall in defensive success rate, uh, success rate allowed uh, for Oregon. They do a great job against stopping the pass. They're 15th in FBS and limiting passing success rate, 17th in FBS and limiting explosive passing plays. So uh, through the air, excuse me. Um, I just don't see USC getting it done. I, you know, this is tough for me because I'm going against my projections. My projections had USC, uh, you know, losing by 12 or 11 and a half or something like that. But, man, I just, you know, I don't see how USC gets up for this game at Oregon when Oregon is firing on all cylinders with everything to lose. You know, they have not only do they have Pac-12 title hopes, they have college football playoff hopes. And it's very much possible for Oregon to cross the finish line and be in the top four when it's all said and done. So I just, I think, you know, right now, Dan Lanning is a better coach. I think they have a better defense and I think Bo Nix is really playing, you know, almost just as well, if not better than Caleb Williams right now. So unfortunately, if you're a USC fan, there's just not much going for you into this game whatsoever. You you just got to hope that Caleb Williams can be special. So yep. I, I'm on Oregon where I can find so- him. Let me tell you, I I subscribed to the Pac-12 network because I really wanted to watch Oregon and play Cal last weekend. And so I bet the first quarter over, it had dropped down to 13 and a half. Well, the weather was bad. I mean, it, the balls were slopping wet. And in the beginning, it didn't look like it was going to be a sweat at all because Oregon had, I think, blocked a kick and returned it for a touchdown. That gets called back. Anyways, long story short, they ended up putting up 24 combined points, and I'd had a bet on first half, Oregon minus 12.5. Well, okay, it's 14-10 
at the end of the first quarter. I turned it off. I thought, all right, well, I cashed the first quarter over. I probably lost the Oregon minus 12 and a half. In the blink of an eye, this they put up 21 points in the second quarter, held Cal to a field goal, and I cashed my bet. You know, they were they were up 35-13 at the half. This Oregon Ducks team is just special. It's like they can turn it on and off when they need to. And when Bo Nix gets gets on, and I know he's going to be on for this game because of the the stage, he knows that he's going to get to compete against Caleb Williams. I just I think Oregon comes out and just rolls them. I'm talking myself even more into just laying it with Oregon. Yeah, no, I I, I totally agree, and I think that offense being as special as they are, they're very. You know, I think they're one of the more uh, progressive teams in today's game, especially on the side of analytics. You know, I kind of nerd out about that kind of stuff and appreciate those who who use that uh, to their advantage as well. But when the reason I say that is because Oregon is also one of the top 10 teams in FBS and pass rate over expectation. You know, they they sling the ball around at any given opportunity. They you, you don't see them really run the ball too often or as you would expect in fact they actually use the short passing game kind of as a substitute for their rushing attack and it works you know they're they're one of the best in the league to do it and i think you're seeing this team get really creative and not only are they creative but they're extremely efficient with what they do so uh you know that's that's how they put up points so quickly and so efficiently so you know i agree i mean i'm kind of just talking myself into into taking Oregon and being comfortable with it, you know, again, going against the projections, which don't really like doing too often. They, you know, they had another get outing, almost 60% hit rate this week. Uh, you can find that on Twitter at Styletics, but, but I have to, I have to go against them with this. I trust in my gut here. I think Bo Nix gets it done at home against USC. Hey, well, that wraps it up for my big game breakdown slate. I had a couple of picks that I wanted to throw out as well, um, some based off of the preliminary model projections and then just uh, a few value ones. But, Matt, do you have any any more that you wanted to throw out there? I'm curious if you had anything else on the books. Yeah, I took Bama minus nine and a half. I just think that there's no way possible that this Kentucky team, now that Alabama's kind of sewed up the SEC West, I just don't think Alabama is going to go into Lexington and let this game be played closely. Kentucky's not very good. Devin Leary has not really lived up to the hype. And the fact that this is not a two-touchdown spread just kind of – it's laughable. I mean, what was – I can't remember now. What was the spread against Kentucky-Georgia? I know that was the one that they covered. Um I think it was around two touchdowns, 14, 14 yeah. and a half, something like that. Georgia won 51 to 13. I think I think you're going to have some sort of score like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 10 and a half, Bama, really, against Kentucky? <laughs> yeah, I will uh, say Kentucky, they, they could not stop the run to save their life. You know, especially yeah, when we played him. I just that's a weird line. I I'll lay it with Nick Saban uh, yeah. every time at that. Dude, they've been winning and they've you know, again, one of those teams that have progressively gotten better and better and better and better. So Jalen Milrow, he looks legit. So 
kind of hard to bet up against them at this point. So I like it. I like it. I had two on the books uh, based off of the early projections and the early lines. One of them is, you know, this is going to be uh, pretty polarizing, but I actually like Miami 14 and a half against Florida State. Uh, I really like the the matchup there and the projections have Miami um, losing by eight, eight and a half, I think. Um, so, you know, Florida State, they've, you know, really looked good, but um, they, I don't want to use the, they haven't played anybody, but you, we've seen them play closer games than what we've anticipated. Uh, they've certainly blown teams out, you know, but I think Miami gets up for this game. They have the talent to, and the ability to keep this one close. Uh, it's just a matter of if they can get up for this. And I think, you know, with, with nothing to lose, I think this Miami team steps in against FSU. Uh, this is going to be their Super Bowl for the year, 100%. So they have the talent to be able to keep this close, and I think they have the ability to to honestly play the FSU close until the fourth quarter. Um, but I like Miami, plus 14.5. I know it's weird. Uh, I actually had a hard time at first agreeing with myself, but it's a system play, so I have to ride with it yeah. and uh, trust myself. I hate, to, I hate to go oppo of you, but I've – got a buddy of mine that he has been doubting this Florida State team all season long and look Miami they started off so good I I wonder if you played the what if game if they kneel that ball and they beat Georgia Tech they probably don't beat UNC the next week which they didn't do but then last weekend you lose 20 to 6 to NC State like, come on, man. That's You get taken to the wire against Virginia. I, yeah, you beat Clemson, but what is Clemson this year? I just I, – I don't know. I think Miami is probably done. Florida State has covered some big spreads in the ACC. They, mm-hmm. You know, 18-and-a-half at Syracuse uh, – or versus Syracuse, 20-and-a-half at Wake, 14 Duke. And I know that, that that was a game that was probably closer than the final score – indicated but it's not going to surprise me if florida state comes out and beats their rival you know by three touchdowns so i you're putting a lot of faith in a bad (laughs) a badly coached miami team yeah i know i know that's why it's so gross that's why it's so gross it's just uh gotta gotta ride with there there yeah you gotta you gotta find diamonds in the dirt i know i know where there's a few that come out and you're like that's not right. A lot of the times the projections come out relatively, give or take, close to the, the spread. Um, but the ones that are that are that stick out like a sore thumb are the ones that I typically throw in there. Another one that I had was Wake Forest plus two and a half against NC State. And I think that this kind of goes parallel with Miami one. Um, I think there's some recency bias with both of these lines, and I really like Wake Forest. I actually like Wake Forest to win outright at home against NC State. I know NC State, they have a great defense, but the projections actually have Wake Forest winning by five. Uh, They've been playing great football. They've had a lot of success on the ground. Um, So, you know, Wake Forest plus two and a half for me is another one of those model picks where I'm like, this doesn't feel good, but I'm going to do it with the early lines, Um, you know, just because it's brought me some success in the past. So going to put it on the books and just not look back. But yeah, 
that's uh that's wraps it up for me that has that's my model picks i am going to post all of the projections later today for all power five matchups at statletics underscore on twitter or x whatever it's called nowadays but matt you got anything else you done i don't think so i think that's it my my models still love oklahoma i thought west virginia was getting way too many points but Mm -hmm. this oklahoma team i can't i cannot figure it out I mean, they shouldn't have gotten beat like they did against Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably shouldn't have lost the game at Kansas. So we've talked about it. But at this point, you know, they're 7-2. and two. They're probably out of the – well, they are out of the college football playoff race. Uh, it's going to be tough even for them making it to the Big 12 championship. Um, uh, they'll still probably make it. But yeah. looking at their schedule, I – I don't know. I, I'm going to stay away from it. But if that line gets down below 10, I'll probably have to take Oklahoma just out of principle. No. Yeah, it's funny that you say that. I have two teams that are on the the do not bet list based off of the projections. One of them is Oklahoma. They're always projected to cover. The second one is North Carolina. They're, they've been the most disappointing team statistically. I think that falls back on coaching. I mean, Mac Brown's like notorious for losing games that he shouldn't mm-hmm. lose. And I feel like that's what we're going to be saying in 20 years about Brent Venables. I mean, how is the guy just not a very good coach? He's a great assistant coach, but yeah, I I'm right there with you. I would say Oklahoma is the North Carolina of the big 12. Yeah. Got yeah. all the talent in the world, but you can't win games. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah, but- those are two teams that have been in, you know, the model picks and the the highly touted by my own projections. And I'm just like, all right, I can't do this anymore. You know, you're getting scrapped. I can't touch you until you actually prove me you can do something. But, you know, statistically, metrically speaking, those two teams, you know, they're they're top tier. They they just have zero uh execution, uh zero production to show for it. So we'll see if they can get it up, but you know, we'll we'll see. It's going to be a long season for those two if they can't. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Enjoyed it as always. Of course, man. You're welcome anytime. Thank you again for joining us. Guys, best of luck this week. We'll be back here next week to talk college before week 12.